1: Welcome to Success Secrets Exposed with Sally A. Curtis, where we share stories of challenge, success, and inspiration, along with practical tips and strategies to move you forward to your success. And now, here is your host, Sally A. Curtis. Good evening, good morning, and good day to you all. Welcome to another episode of Success Secrets Exposed, where we have conversations with today's thought leaders change makers, disruptors, to bring you tips, tools, and strategies to help you grow. For those that are new to the show, I'm a content repurposing whiz for speakers, authors, coaches, and consultants. I help them turn their existing content into new profits. In essence, helping them turn their books, for example, into two years worth of social media posts. But today we're going to be talking with a very, very special guest and a very, very special friend of mine about the tips and tricks to help you hire and keep the right people. Now, Mike O'Hagan is a dear friend, he's a multiple business owner and in multiple countries. He's always been an employer and he built his first business with a $200 investment and turned that into a business generating $23 million annually with staff of 500 people here in Australia. He also has another business in the Philippines where he has a thousand office workers and office staff. So today he's gonna be sharing with you tips and tricks on hiring, retaining and creating staff who are profit centers for your business. Now, what's also important to note is Mike has also experienced a significant downward spirals as well. So he has a diverse range of outside of the box and incredibly practical tips to share with you today. This is what makes him a sought after business and staffing for growth speaker. So please let me help me welcome Mike O'Hagan to the show.
2: Good morning. Wherever you are, good evening, or whatever it is in your part of the world. Great to be here, Sally.
1: Thank you. Welcome. It's good to have you here. And I know it's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed time in the Philippines for you now that you're back there after um, being able to go back home after being stuck in Australia for a while.
2: Yeah, well, I flew up here uh, last week, or yeah, just on a week ago. I've only just got out of quarantine by one day. So oh,
1: there I'm you go. Into <laughs> the real world, yet. <laughs> it's been yeah. bizarre. Very much so. Very much so. So I know you've got so many um, practical tips um, and outside of the box thinking to share with people, but and I know I highlighted your um, backstory very, very, very slightly. Can you share a little bit about that backstory because I think that's so significant um, with what we're going to be talking about today and the changes that you've made over time in your own businesses?
2: Yeah, sure so a long time ago in my my 20s <laughs> i one day uh i was working for a, a a multinational company in a warehouse um just doing a pretty menial sort of job um, and um i had applied to to be a, a manager and they turned me down straight away and uh, i got a bit upset about that so i decided to go into business for myself and very quickly i started buying and selling things and was very successful at doing that uh within a couple of years I had um, a couple of shops and uh, about half a dozen staff, and everything was going well. But I was working um, 90 hours yeah. a week, seven days a week, and my staff were only working 40 hours a week, and I was being paid the same amount of money as them. That's when yeah. I decided that this whole, whole idea of small businesses is it, it sucks, it's not a very good thing for a lot of people, and uh, so I went on a a bender trying to find something that I could duplicate and scale and grow. And I found that in a short distance, furniture moving a company Mm. called Movers and that's the company I spun up to. uh, And it was actually just on $30 million. We tipped out at, and, um, and over 500 staff. And that's my history. That grew up very well. Uh, I actually got, I sold that business or moved that business on about uh, three, four years ago now. So I don't have it anymore. Uh, but, uh, during the when that of course as that grew, of course we we went up and what everybody knows is the global financial crisis in 2009 round about there really really hit me very hard uh we mm. got into a lot of trouble like a lot of businesses are today with COVID, um mm. and we struggled uh and we'll come a little, we'll tell a little bit later about the story about how we got around that and moved the yeah. stuff one country to another to save the business
1: yeah but it was the um, what what the key takeaway here is as is during that global financial crisis, which is similar to now, where people are sort of doing the oh my god what next? You had that uh, that uh, downward spiral, so you've got experience of how to, how to transform a business out of that, which is some of the tips that we'll actually get into today, um, as part of that story. Some of the things that I do notice um, that you talk about a lot is also the ways of hiring the right people. So when you first started mini-movies, you would have hired a version of the right people. And then after the uh, GFC, it was a different version of the right people. So talk us through some of your your insights around hiring the right people.
2: Well, um, moving businesses is a service business. It's all about people going out to a, a customer's home and supplying a service. And they have to behave and they have to do a phenomenal job. Otherwise... Um, you, you don't get anywhere. And, you, and you've got to be, do more than a phenomenal job. You've got to really well those customers so they tell others and, and grow your business. So it's absolutely vital you get the right people into the thing. Like everybody, I started by hiring experienced people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was interesting. I, you Most of them, about three months after you start, you find out why they're no longer with their previous employer. And uh, so experienced people have a the the car around them that 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 they're they are moving from job to job a lot of them and, and for for good reason they're probably not that good at what they do or whatever but we learned from each one of those um i then tried to subcontract uh which is another way of doing it which is contracting is quite normal in most countries i tried to contract uh then i was hiring somebody who wanted their own their own business and i was actually teaching them how to do it so you know once they learned how to do it a lot of them left me and became my competitor so that wasn't probably the way to go either um yeah. discarded the idea of franchising because franchising in my opinion was even slower we had to find somebody who would buy the franchise which mm. was a business dust that we didn't want to be in and then we would still have training and at the end of the day i have friends with franchise businesses they're all human beings they're all the same so they don't <laughs> they don't change that much yeah. and we ended up um with the moving side of it uh, going down and owning the trucks and actually uh, hiring completely inexperienced people—people people with no experience whatsoever—we worked out very carefully what their core skills needed to be. They needed to live in a certain area. They needed to be physically capable of moving furniture, and they needed to be able to hold a conversation, so we could teach them to communicate with the customer. And those were the three boxes that we looked at when we interviewed them. We weren't interested in any girls, and. Uh, from that point on, we train them. Uh, well, the interview process actually consisted of playing a video showing you how to move things as a, training, as a training thing. It was actually a training segment of what how we used to teach people. And then after they, after they watched the video, we would stand up and go outside and move furniture. Um, and some of them would have an attitude about that. And that they would obviously, not, there'd be no starters. And uh, some of them enjoyed it and had obviously listened to the video and that to, that to us that demonstrated that they were trainable
1: mm.
2: and, um, and then um we from there we trained them up and we ended up with you know nearly 500 people just over 500 people and all of them had no experience at all we wouldn't even let them have a, a, a truck driver's license when they came and we taught them how to drive the truck as well absolutely everything there's only one way to do it my way and <laughs> um, honestly they're a lot loyaler they stay with you a different type of employee altogether
1: yeah so that was one of the things that always fascinated me and that was one of the greatest lessons i learned from you uh, when we spent time together when i was over in the philippines was that that real shift in mindset from not hiring experienced uh, people to hiring inexperienced people because like you've explained um i found in my own business that i was getting hiccups because these people w- weren't doing what i wanted them to do they were doing what they wanted to do in a version of what I wanted to do. And that wasn't the way I wanted it done because it was all about speed and efficiency and all those sorts of things. Um, And I found from my own experience, when we changed to hiring, um, the right staff that were inexperienced in giving people a shot, the the difference in loyalty was definitely um, a huge difference. But I also liked um, the way in which you've just explained there demonstrating to them what the work Is going to be like, and then letting them demonstrate their adaptability with them doing the work. So when you're actually seeing them, can you you explain that a little bit? Because I think that 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 element of demonstration, both from what you've done, but also what the potential new employees doing, is in itself so outside of the box. Because when you go here in Australia, if you go and do a Um, an interview and you've got to do touch type and you're in a room with everybody else and it's all about KPIs. Um, You know, can you do this many numbers? But it's not about what is the extra stuff that they're going to bring to the employer. So I'd love you to just sort of um, talk about some of those elements that you see there from that demonstration of, of, you know, what's the difference with when you get the right inexperienced person?
2: So the employment process for those drivers was... That we have obviously pre-vetted them before they come in, and they lived in the right area, uh, physically yep. capable. We could see, or where that was part of moving the furniture, which was part of the recruitment. And yep. whilst uh, we were talking to them, the only time we never sat down and talked to them across a the desk. These are guys that want to move furniture, okay? So they, they they're they're more physical, and they they're into that type of work. So the mm-hmm. whole recruiting, so so the recruiting process, the interview was a test to test. Mm-hmm they're able to do the other bits that we needed and look there's another way I can turn around I do I did it with when I needed a PA I needed a personal assistant I've always had a personal assistant in the background doing everything for me and uh, and they stayed with me for quite a number of years and most of them have moved on into management roles in my businesses but um so I needed a a a, a personal assistant and I wanted to go to the Philippines and use a Filipino so uh, it was just what I was doing at the time and that was what my need was so I wrote up a a test, mm. and the test went vaguely like it was. This is a written test. We want you to open a Word file. We want you to name the Word file with your surname. We want you to and then write a letter to Mrs. Smith. Uh, Mrs. Smith uh, is complaining to our business. She said that our fellas did this, 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 and this, and this, all sorts of nasty things. We describe. We want you to write a letter so she doesn't bug us anymore. So she doesn't, she doesn't chase us anymore. And then we want you to email that. This is part of the, in the, in the thing, email that to this specific Gmail account. So that was the instruction. We went very wide to the market. We went everywhere we could paid advertising, free stuff, Facebook, LinkedIn, all those places. And every time somebody was, acted interested in the job, I had another little person in the middle doing this. They immediately responded with a reply email with the test. So then they have to write their little letter and send it in. And then we, so our interview process was simply reading those letters. Now Mm. what we were doing is we were testing, is their English really good? Can they write a letter that's perfect? You know, Mm. were they able to talk the way out of a problem because it's my PA, they obviously have to do 10 things at the same time and be able to talk to people and, and sometimes, unfortunately, calm people down and do those sort of things. And they're all the skills that I needed in PA. Now, people's skills, you can't, you can't, the only way I could assess them was to have them write a letter. And, you know, when you read the letters, you instantaneously saw who was suitable for the job. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Now, that's a violent process where you're testing to a skill to get them that you want and skills that you pretty well can't advertise for. You can't advertise for people's skills. You can't teach Skills I can teach them now. My theory was that, uh, by the way, the the whole process did not say what programs we use, you know, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. Because I can teach that in two minutes, easy. Mm -hmm. You know, if they don't know Microsoft Outlook, Outlook, we can just whack them into whatever Lynda.com or whatever there is out there nowadays, and just they can learn that really fast. But I cannot teach people skills, and I can't. I don't have the time to finish off their English. So I tested Mm -hmm. to the things that I couldn't teach. And, and we did the initial assessment around uh, what, what we can easily see. Yeah. And again, you don't have to talk to anybody to interview them. The only reason you should be talking to people when you recruit them is to make sure that they fit with you one-on-one, that you can work together. only reason by the time you talk to them as the owner, you should have pre-vetted, pre-tested them. You should know that these are the right people for the job.
1: Yeah, brilliantly. And I think too now with where we've come with all of the technology, um, when you were doing it, it would have been very innovative um, and very, very, very outside of the box. Whereas in reality, it sounds as though it actually expedites the whole process, you get a better quality of person and and somebody that's actually a better fit for what you're actually looking for. And Mm -hmm. now, as you said, with all of the different technologies, we can do that with so much more ease. Do you did you find when and I know this um, the process of you sort of doing this testing um, is it's very part of who you are. Do you find that people struggle to be able to get get a test testing scenario up and running because they're not actually clear themselves in what they're actually really looking for?
2: Yeah, I think that's a, a huge problem that people really don't understand what they're doing for. Um, the Philippines company we were talking about before, a company called Shore Three Hundred and Sixty, which has grown up to over a thousand employees in a few years, very quickly. Yeah. Um, our rec- the big big key part of what we do there is in recruiting. And if you go and listen to our recruiters talking to the clients, the clients really struggle to understand what they're looking for, and they they normally start with what I call the stupid things, which is you know we want a university degree, we want them to be qualified in this. And I'm going, well, you don't want qualification. You want to be, to be capable of doing mm. the job. You know, it, it, number of people I talk to with, say, for instance, IT coders, full program, full deck, full stack uh, developers and stuff like that. You don't care about their degree or their qualification. You want to know they can do the job. There's yeah. plenty of out there are not qualified they're really good at doing the job and there's plenty of people out there that are qualified are very terrible at doing the job and the bottom, yeah. the bottom line has to be they can do the job so yeah. get rid of qualification get rid of experience just come down to this is the job um what do we need for them to be able to do the job and if it's mm-hmm. something you can teach them and most jobs you're going to have to teach them a fair bit of it anyway if you think go for the lesser experience and bring them up through training Um, so it's all about, it's all about, you know, focusing on, um, when they, when they, when they come to you, that they sort of really don't know what they want. The other thing they have is a huge issue. This is a big one that everybody should take on board. We don't have any unicorns. There's not too many around, but people that call up and say, look, what we want is we want somebody can code in C plus we also want them to be able to use zero uh, counting system and understand bookkeeping in Australia. And, uh, oh, and, and we also need to be able to write really good English and, and develop content as well. And you go, can you get one of those where you come from? No. Well, why do you think you can get one here? You know, yeah, they're a unicorn. They don't exist, guys. Uh, yeah. It back to what is there is in the market, okay?
1: I, I'm sitting here laughing because in my community, we call that the, we just want the super VA, the one that can do everything. They've, they're skilled in everything, where in reality people are, are skewed, to certain gifts and skills, et cetera. So you might need to hire four people to achieve the super VA because four people don't blend into one. It's one people, one person with a unique skill plus another, plus another, which gives you a unicorn result, but it doesn't doesn't generally come from the one unicorn. So I'm really glad you've actually said that because that's one of my rants that I get right into. <laughs>
2: oh, it's just, and, and look, I can understand it because micro yeah. businesses is where you start. You haven't got those skills at that stage. You know, you've got, got into business, you're a one or two person business, maybe a one person business and you're going to take that big step with your first staff member. 99% of us hire a friend the first time
1: oh wow yeah true very
2: true it's easier we hire yeah. a friend and they fall into the role and they're a, they're, a, they're a jack of all trades they can do everything um, and that's what most of us do to start with but if you go to the market then it gets awkward it really does and, yeah uh, but you've got to learn you've got to learn the skill of uh finding out what the sort of person is you want in the role then you've got to learn the skill to assess them properly um, yeah. and then onboard them and, and do all those things as well set so them manage them you know empower them and yeah.
1: i'd love yeah. to talk more around that because that was something that i really uh, experienced when i was over with you and went was walking through uh, shore 360 and just seeing the staff in in general was that you um ha- yes you'd um, had hired the right uh, the right people th- because of your process yes they were incredibly loyal but I also loved um, that they were use the word empowered just then. But they were really empowered, and they were excited about what they did as individuals, but equally as as they worked together. So they were they were empowered as individuals, but they were empowered within the team or the um, the little group that they worked in. Um, and that's something that um, I would imagine you've done with, through all of your experience. But that in itself. Is, is is such a significant element. So can you talk to that at all? Look, I'll give you
2: the secret key. The secret key. The secret key is 80% is good enough. So one of the problems that I have, and I'm sure I'm no different than anybody, is I'm a perfectionist. I'm a perfectionist in what I do. And as a perfectionist, I'm so perfectionist, so I want to micromanage everything. I want to get down and make every single thing, micromanage and micromanage them. And boy, do we waste a lot of time and energy in there. And it took me quite a number of years to understand that. Give them the job, make them sure they understand the job, make sure they understand the parameters. And then if it goes wrong, have a quick look to see that they knew it went wrong. Yeah. And if they knew it went wrong, most of them are kicking themselves that it went wrong and just leave them alone. Just nothing else you're going to do. And <laughs> they already know. If they don't know, then raise it with them in a way so they understand, but carry on. So the secret is, you really got to um, uh, get away from micromanaging. You've got to settle down at eighty percent is good enough. And to do that, you've got to empower your people to be able to make decisions and do things and go their way. And, and that comes from loyalty and it comes from backgrounding, understanding. They need to understand what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. That's a little bit of an internal thing. You can't. None of this is in written instructions, by the way. That when I just get so the HR processes that mm. they out there and they're all corporate hrs processes and they really don't work you cannot write a rule for everything there's no sense. way and the smaller the business the less likely that it's going to be so you need to you get need to the people that can make a decision understand what what's acceptable not acceptable and just get out there the best way to do that is is have them understand what the end goal is If yeah. the end and understand clearly the, the end goal our end goal is profit our end goal is really happy, well, happy customers telling other people and whatever those other, other end goals are, talk to them in those terms so they understand ultimately what it is they're trying to do and then understand in their role what their part of it is and then empower them to make make decisions and do things. Vital. You've got to get away from micromanaging. You will not grow and scale a business if you're going to be a micromanager and get away from perfectionists. It's not a perfect world. Employees are not yeah. perfect. Things go wrong. Smile at them and carry on, okay. And every yeah. time it goes wrong, figure out if you need to change something to fix it, or it's not. I don't need don't need jerk to everything that goes wrong.
1: Yeah, I think that's um, that's. Um, was, we're sitting here laughing because uh, yes, everybody wants the super VA or the unicorn, uh, mm. but they also they also sort of overlook and over overlord them. Um, and I understand the unicorn side of things because of when you don't know what you don't know, you just want somebody to fill all of those gaps that you don't want to do and don't know about. And you assume that the externally uh, they can do it for you, which is why people look for the unicorn. But then they get into the, I found this person, I need everything done right, whereas forward movement um, is, is the end goal. And I love that, that 80% is good enough the key takeaways there for me was let let them know how they can win by giving them the right parameters of what winning looks like and what is required to wow the customer and what's required within their role and keeping them up to date and in the process of you know helping the, the them achieve their end goal which helps the, the team achieve its end goal and then obviously the organization that achieves its goal as well. So within there, we've probably, um, if we step back a little bit, what, what are the tips that you've got around g- going through the onboarding process? And I'll call it that, um, and I know that's a very, very HR term, um, and I know from my own experience when people are putting VAs on and when I did it for the very first time in the worst way possible was I didn't provide any training. I just thought, oh, you, you know how to do that, go and um, so completely left them to their own devices. So there's obviously a little bit of guidance or onboarding or training. What are your suggestions or tips around that to help them work out how to win and you know understand that 80% is good enough so you can get on doing what you do the best in your own business?
0: Oh, we don't
2: exactly share 80% is good enough with the staff members. Don't give them no. that much away.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: understand but that. You, in yourself, you need to do 80% is good enough and move on, okay? Otherwise, yeah. you become a, worker, a manager. Look, onboarding is about welcoming to the team uh, and this, this various aspects. Welcome to the company. This is what the company does. This is what yeah. we're, the roles are. This is the structure. This is what's in it. And these are the team members. This is who you're working for. Uh, I do not like the corporate formal job descriptions i think they're too exact and honestly in this world everything's changing too quickly for that um Mm. some serious issues you know hr would come in and say we've got to have a job description I go, you know what we we do that and then three months later we make a change here and a change there and then if you go back two years you'll find that a job description that was given that person two years ago which is still there is completely wrong it's gone it's changed you need to understand that um, these things happen like that and you can't do anything about it, particularly nowadays. Mm. What happened to all of us in the last 22 months has been bizarre. It's not one of us has not dramatically changed something in our business and none of us had a business plan or an idea we're going to do that. It was a gut feeling, let's do this right now, you know? Adapt. A lot of of us survived because of that. Um, So, yeah, so keep away from the formal job descriptions. I like a video from the owner that gets in and says, look, welcome, welcome to to, to Mini Moves, our moving company. And I um, I have a story and I'm not going to tell it now, but I have a story that talks about the first job we ever did. But t- two guys that I hired to go out and do the first job and they did things that were amazingly good for the customer, had the customer jumping and wow. Uh, and I talk about what they did and how the customer was and then how that customer told other people. And mm. that's the basis of this company. That's what we want you to do. We want you to go out mm. and create customers that happy, right? Mm. And, and 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 so so my my welcome to the company is me telling that story. It's, so it brings them into the fold so they understand where we came from and the story of the perfect customer. And um, it's called painting a picture if you want to, Google it at all. It's, it's, yeah. it's a management technique.
1: Yeah, I, I write down. Uh, it's enrolling them in the uh, enrolling them in the vision by pr- providing an example of the perfect vision. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Tell a story.
2: You, you put it you put it into a story context. Uh, I discovered it was a management technique years ago. Years after I started doing it, to me, it just made sense that when you come mm. work, I tell you look, this is what we're about. So, look, you, you set the scene for the company. You talk about the structure as it is now. You talk about the good things and the bad things. Look, if things around here change, they change all the time. They change without notice. If you're the yeah. sort of person that gets frustrated with change, I think you should go somewhere else. Uh, and be, I'm quite brutal I yeah. like that. I really am. It's like you know, you, you join the team and you're part of us, or I'm sorry, but tell you, you're not going to fit in here, okay? And yeah. um, and I think and I very rare for me to fire anybody. Most people resign because they just know. Um, and I think that's I think that's a good thing. I think that's because they understand. And and having said that, by the way, over the years, anybody I've ever fired didn't already know that that was coming and and uh, didn't didn't understand that they've got an issue. issue. Normally, it was an external issue that's nothing to do with work anyway, which was causing the problems. So yeah. Sadly, but that's just. But we do try hard to keep them. We do a lot before we get to that stage. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's just about. So onboarding is about painting the picture and. Telling them where they're going and what's involved, and and then some of the nitty gritty of their job, and your role in this to do this. This is your part of it. And, mm-hmm. uh, I had a I had I had a um I had a, a corporate goal that was not shared with the the, the the workers, but was shared with senior management and my our suppliers that so one day Mini Movers would be a bigger brand name worldwide than McDonald's. That said that's why we were building the computer processes and that's why we were building the processes and what we were doing and how big we were gonna grow it. So that was a corporate goal. Um, Then I had a goal for every employee had the same goal, which was to create a statically happy customers where they create tomorrow's work. Mm
1: -hmm. And that's
2: their goal. So that was one goal for every. And it didn't matter whether you're in accounts Didn't matter whether you're on the phones, it didn't matter in sales, it didn't matter in marketing, it didn't matter if you're out on those trucks moving furniture, it was the same goal. Everybody had to do that. And even if it's not your job, if you could do something to create a happy customer, you stepped out of your job and did it.
1: Yeah. Uh, And isn't that, that to me is just making that, hot? it's just making it easy for them to know how to win and then create the results that the organisation wants. So that's incredibly empowering. Yeah, that's brilliant make, make it easy make it easy fantastic and have you got any uh, story can you share any stories around um some of the staff and some of the ways in which people have actually done that uh, through that empowerment that you've provided
2: oh with the moving stuff it's been crazy over the years so the moving business charges an hourly rate for everything so how long we are on the job depends a lot on the customer. <laughs> and some customers have, have a whole lot of relatives there and have everything packed up on the front footpath, and it's going to be a very quick job. And some yeah. customers have, have got dirty, dirty, dirty plates in the sink, and they expect us to wash them, and dry them, and put them in the boxes, which means we're going to be there for a long time. Yeah. So we've had. We've had um, a customer decide they want to take the watering system with them. So the guy went and got a, a spade and <laughs> dug it all. Them. <laughs> we've had them climb up on roofs and get aerials down. We'll stop that now because the safety came down on us with that one. Uh, um, over the years, we've just done some crazy stuff for customers, whatever the customers need, uh, and because and they're paying for it anyway, but we'll do yeah. it within the terms of a normally handyman, normal thing. We won't do anything, you know, anything that the trade's required, plumbers or electricians, but we'll do Anything else as you would. Um, and, you know, I've seen them walk, work around the clock. I've seen them do amazing things. When, when we had the floods, uh, we had guys that worked over 24 hours. I know you're not supposed to, but there are sometimes times when that's what needs to be done, you know.
1: And what I've gathered from the conversations we've had with some of the stories you've shared, it's that was um you know 99 percent of the time the employees choice to do that to deliver in the manner that they want to deliver to uh to continue what they're doing and that's that's where that strong empowerment you've, where you've been had the ability to be able to employ the right people
2: so the internal culture meant that you you would never have to tell anybody to do any of that stuff it was a natural thing for them to do yeah beautiful
1: and i just
2: I'll read, read something else another thing that I did which I think is really really clever is I have a thing called a team bonus okay. and, and, and this is really profit sharing without the word profit sharing so this is and the team bonus was designed to pull everybody together and get them to make sure the other one's doing the right thing so the team bonus um, just understand that we have a guarantee that if we damage it we fix it which means if we break anything out there we're going to fix it and we did that internally out of our money we it's part of our charging structure. We've got an allocation for to cover those things, of course, as you would. So what, what I did was we were well overdue for a major pay increase. There was a lot of pressure on us, um, but the margins are a bit squeezed and it wasn't really, from that side, it wasn't a good time to have a pay increase. Probably very much like a lot of businesses are right now, and we'll get into the great resignation in a minute, but man is causing a lot of these problems right now. There's a lot of pressure on pays. And there's no people pressure on, but of course, there's customer issues. So there's not much, so many businesses haven't got the, the same cash flow coming in. So they're in a big squeeze. I understand that more than anybody. Yeah. And um, so what I did was I took a percentage of turnover. I think it was 3%, no need to quote me, but I think it was about 3%. I took 3% of turnover and I put it in a pool. And then I went through and I listed all the things that can go wrong. Late for work, damaged something. Um, um, vehicle, um, um, vehicle accidents, all sorts of things. And I put them all listed them all down. And then I went to the staff and I said, okay, now the more money we take, the more we earn, the higher the pool will go because it's a percentage of turnover. Mm -hmm. So every week we're going to tell you what the turnover is and how much went into your pool and you can watch that and you've got to push the growth of that. We've got to get out there and sell more get more customers that's how that grows that Mm -hmm. then every mistake we make is going to cost you this and i had a whole cost structure around how we would cost it so then we we would take that out and then what's left over i'm going to share amongst all the full-time employees during that whole period so if you left you didn't get it and if you left it means your your workmates got more Mm -hmm. (laughs) interesting Uh, and then i'm going to share it every and every three months i'm going to share it equally across all of the full-time employees in the company and it was designed so that it was it was enough to buy a flat screen tv so it was it was a few thousand dollars yeah. and so and i did it quarterly every three months because i wanted it to be a big one i found that if you give staff a bonus and you pay it every week they mortgage themselves up to it yeah get used to it and then when if it stops one day because it's a bonus uh, they can't afford their they can't afford their repayments and you've got another problem on your hand so I wanted it yeah. to be big enough now that whole bonus was called the team bonus and we pushed it down everybody was in it we we, we really and the whole company was driven around the team bonus it means that the guy you're working with damages something what he just did was take money out of your pocket yeah yes. so we mentioned that if you're with somebody and they damage something there's money out of your pocket and I used to sit there and go, I don't care if you guys damage something. I'm not paying for it. It's coming out of your bonus. Doesn't doesn't worry me, none. And, and and I used to do that. I was quite. I actually got right up at one stage of saying I was to saying that to my staff. Of course, I say it to my staff, it's not my problem. It's their issue, right? And yeah. um, but the bonus, the team bonus, pulled everybody together, and it made them. The the other thing we did with the recruitment is that they were selecting the people that they selected to work that part of the recruiting thing was that once we select them, we put them on a trial period. During that trial period, their workmates ticked off through a formal process that they want them yeah. or don't want them. Yes. So they have to approve next new person coming in as well.
1: Yeah, so everybody, the, yeah.
2: Absolutely vital that your current staff helps select the new people coming in. Yeah. You need it as a team. You need it as a team. And then if your incentive system, your bonus system is also pulling them together so that all the mistakes are costing them money and all the successes, like more customers, more money coming in and making them money, then you're okay. Now, I never did it. It's like a and l in a way, because I didn't want to share the P&Ls with the guys. They didn't really, they wouldn't understand it. And it was not something I really wanted to get into that much, but the, this, this thing is like a and l it's a percentage of turnover and the oops is taken out. Designed specifically to make your team work together, presented to the team in a team way, saying, well, it's about each other. It's about helping each other. If somebody's down and they've got problems at home and they're they're grumpy and they're actually making mistakes, well, you better help them. You better put your arm around them
1: and say, it's going to be okay. Let's get going, okay? And
2: that's what you want your team doing, team all rowing together in one direction.
1: Yeah, brilliant. And um, I'd love to dig into your insights now around the Great Resignation and this shortage of staff, because I can only imagine uh, that, as you said, there is um, the, the pressures on pace. You've had a, a great experience where that's um, been highly successful for you, as, you, as you've just explained. But right now um, there is, as everyone's talking about, the great resignation, uh, people are looking for uh, more out of the, the employment that they're doing. So how do how do employers handle this? What's some tips that you've got around this today?
2: Okay, so look, I want to set the scene a little bit because I think this is what's happening and I'm pretty certain this is what happens. Well, uh, today's the first day I'm kind of sharing my, openly what my thoughts are. Mm. We have in the world a thing called, in the 1930s, a thing called the Great Depression. The Great Depression lasted four years. It was a massive high unemployment area, pretty well in most of the Western world. It affected most countries. That Great Depression, as I said, only lasted four years. Now, those four years had such an effect on the people that three or four generations after that, Influence their, their thinking was influenced to their children. So my 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 parents um, who 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 were born just after the Great Depression, all right. So their parents had said to them. My parents said to me, Mike, get a job with the government. You need to have a job for life, a secure job. Be careful when you borrow money. Pay your house off. And all that thinking came out of four years worldwide disruption called the Great Depression. So what we do know is when we have a massive worldwide. De- um, yes. Disruption, and we've just had that twenty-two months or two years of COVID, which has probably been a bigger, bigger, bigger disruption. Maybe World War II Maybe I think it's pretty big. Uh, yes, and yes. then the fact that it's ca- captured every country, and yes. Of, yes. it's captured every country. Um, not the same length of time, but certainly every country has been involved in. It. So now, as a result of that, people are going to have a different attitude and see things differently. Mm. So my observations are that i think a lot of people aren't looking long term anymore they're thinking more short term mm-hmm. This it's a life-threatening thing so you know saving for the future is really a bit stupid let's just spend it and live life now mm-hmm. um so less steady steady more let's this let's, let's, let's live life let's enjoy life uh, you know um i've seen a lot of attitudes you know i don't need the money i, I can live on less and i'll be happier mm-hmm. so then if you go and look at the jobs and i think this is where we are in life i think you know technology and everything else is making our life easier and easier you know we've got gadgets in our house we've got air conditioning we've got all this stuff to make life easy and one of the things that never really got easy was work so a lot of people are trapped in a job which is a bit of a miserable job now this is a lot there's a lot of people and these are kind of what we call the blue collar work you know the moving furniture the washing dishes the whatever they are there's a lot of jobs and um, if you look around the world with well, this great resignation, it's more the blue collar workers that you can't, you can't get truck drivers anywhere in the world. <laughs> All of them are resigned. It's just, you know, and um, so it's down that end. So it works a bit, you're doing a job, which a lot of people think is a bit miserable. And you, you have to do it because you feed the family. So you do it. And then the pay is minimal. It's a low end pay. So that's not, that's not helping you either. The job's not that good. The pay's not that good. Unfortunately, Bosses isn't help, he makes it more. He's negative, he wants push, push, push all the time. He's not there about making it friendly or happy or thing. And unfortunately, a lot of bosses are like that. Um, and then along comes another crappy thing in your life, COVID. You know, this and suddenly, this is and it's like the straw that breaks the camel's back. And you go, you know, I've had enough, I'm not going to do this anymore. Now, I have just come back from Australia. I can tell you that a lot of my truck driving friends down there have resigned. And they resigned basically because they were being COVID tested every second day. They just, yeah. the job was enough. Be, I'm driving to state, I, 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 I do long hours, I put up with it, I'm away from home, the pays could be better, and now they started to pull me up, they're filling me out the stupid paperwork, I'm being tested all the time, that's it, I'm out of here. So we're seeing a massive great resignation around the world. driven Underlying driven is the change in attitude towards life caused yeah. by the, the COVID thing. It's like the Great Depression caused an attitude in the way you handle finances. This is doing the same towards life and, yeah. and you're just seeing it from a different point of view. Um, um, I think we're going to have to change our workplaces quite radically. We're really going to have to make them into fun, fun workplaces.
1: I agree, and I, um, I'm seeing, uh, having spoken to different people in America, it's it's it seems to be across the board um, in the Great Resignation over there with the blue collar workers, but also the CEOs and the, the 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 corporate workers are also having a similar um, a similar exodus to uh, find the meaning of life for them and have a simpler life um, yeah. and a change of scenery and all the rest of it. So, That's what do you?
0: Think?
1: Yeah,
2: and, uh, I'm in the Philippines as well, Sally. So. It's everywhere. We're We're struggling to get people the way we were. Uh, We're having to work a lot harder to get people. Um, I know the Philippines doesn't have a welfare system, they they have a family support system, and all of them don't have to work. And they are not working. And the other thing we're fighting with is, or having a big debate about, is work from home, which is another little issue in there. And um, uh, we'll see where that goes. Yeah. Anyway.
1: Uh, no, that no, that's uh, totally right. Because we are having the same thing here from a corporate perspective. I was having a conversation with one of my communication um, experts a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about this, the great resignation as well, and that how um, that the the employer employers and the em- are saying yes, we are more productive at home. But what the employers were talking about was that um, yes, I agree, you are more productive at home, and this is working for the organization. But what gets missed is yes, productivity is good, but we they miss innovation and they miss collaboration, which is a nut, which are the other two pinnacles that help organizations grow. Um, so I'd love to talk about you know how how we can change. You've used the word fun. Yet people are definitely wanting to have a more joyful life, and if that includes employment, they now expect employment to be part of that joyful life as well. So, I'd love to hear your insights around oh, that quickly.
2: I'll give you two resources that people should go and have a look at and think about. The first one is just go in and you can Google this, and it'll come up. Google the uh, fish, um, the um, Seattle Fish Pike Markets. It's yeah. the actual resource is called fish, just the word yep. fish. And it's based on the Seattle uh, fish pike markets, and it's a, it's it was a it was originally it was about getting more customers by having a fun environment. But I mm. want people to go and look at the videos. There's many of them out there. Go and look through the videos. Have a look at the videos of the workplace itself. It is like that. I've been there. Um, they, yeah. they, they're crazy people. They did exactly what they did on the videos there. They really do do that. Um, yeah. But that's a fun work. That's what a lovely place to work. A fish market with smelly yeah. fish and ice. Yeah. Yep. yep, they're having more fun and they don't have any staff turnovers. So go and have a look at that. Also have a look at Zappos um, with what, what Tony did with um, with Zappos with their call centre and the way they put their money back into their staff and look at that. And I think there are two resources at the moment that you employers should all go and have a good think about. Get that, go away and think about what can I do in our workplace to make this a place that people want to come to every day. You've got to move away from this... You know people work here because they have to because they've got to feed their family you know which that's not going to work anymore guys It's disappearing mm-hmm. and we've got to create workplaces that people want to come to and mm-hmm. um, you know, i know from experience that they are a lot more productive i used to have a call center in australia uh, which was very much like zappos it was fun it was crazy um, and it got destroyed when i put corporate managers in there and they went through it with the health and safety stuff and they stopped us throwing screwed up paper at each other. Would you believe? Because it could hurt somebody. Right. Oh, <laughs> was, yeah. We used to have paper fights in the middle of things. It was crazy, crazy place. But it was a fun place. People used to love coming to it. And man, yeah. well, were not productive! You know, totally yeah. productive. Very, yeah. very
1: good. I think yeah. that's the key. The key thing there. If we just do a bit of a, a, a bit of a recap. People are wanting to be in um, fun environments. They're not wanting to be micromanaged. We as owners and managers need to know that that 80% is good enough. Staff need to know the ways in which that they can uh, the, that they can win. We need to make training more relevant, practical, demonstrate, involved and empowering so people feel part of the team and know how to win and help uh, the company grow. Just as we close off, uh, Mike, I- know that you've um will we'll pop up on this on the ticker um your calendar if people want to actually book a time with you to to discuss with you how to go about hiring staff um and finding the right staff and keeping the right people uh, you've got that and you're uh, happy to talk to people around that obviously they can uh, contact you uh, via your website which we will have, have up as well is there anything else just in closing in the last minute that you'd like to share with people I
2: like to give a little plug for the Philippines. I, I, I live, I've lived in the Philippines for 12 years, guys, and and uh, there's a massive, great pool of very, very employable people here. Uh, uh, you're talking 100 million people, most of them well educated, and they are going to be the answer for a lot of your staff shortages around the world. If you're having trouble getting skills, and we're not talking about BAs now, we're talking about high level stuff. CFO accountants, not just a plain account, not bookkeepers, accountants, they're a simple dime a dozen, but CFOs and high level things, engineers, architects, uh, yeah. all that type of stuff. And there's massive business opportunities in this. If you're looking for an opportunity to build a business, have a chat to me about that as well, because that's where it is. But the Philippines, Shaw 360 is the name of the business that we have here. And we're really good with this employment stuff. And it's, it's, it, is, it is hard harder here as well, but we can find people there everywhere. Um, have a good think about that. There's massive opportunities uh, here. Uh, so what happens in one part of the world gets counteracted in the other part of the world? Very so much so.
1: Way thank, yeah, thank you. And uh, as I said, at the very beginning, when I introduced Mike, I've uh, spent time with Mike, I've been over in the Philippines looking at going through uh, Shore 360. I've seen the incredibly high caliber people uh, in that architect, in the, in the CFO arenas and was um, gobsmacked at the level of empowerment um, and loyalty and funding which I experienced within those organisations. So certainly do reach out to, to Mike to find out how he can help you grow your business as well. So thank you very, very much, uh, Mike, for um, For those that are joining us next week on the show, we have a lady by the name of Pat coming to join us. She's going to be talking about the ways in which to monetize your book. One of my pet peeves is I see so many people write books and then not turn it into a profitable asset that actually generates money for them. So she's going to be talking to us how to monetize your book. But thank you very, very much for joining us. Thank you again to, for Mike for sharing his wisdom. Please reach out to either of us if you need any support in any way. We're more than happy to assist you and refer you to the right people. Thank you very, very much. And we'll see you again on the next episode of Success Secrets Exposed. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining us, and I trust that you got some inspirational tips to move you forward. You can find this episode along with many more on your favorite streaming platform, such as iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, and more. See you next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time for more Success Secrets Exposed with Sally A. Curtis.